Hello, my name is Van Sneed, and welcome to episode 18 of the PS Plus, a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to another called The Postscript. Now on that podcast, pastor and host Brandon Briscoe each week will speak with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. Here on this podcast, the PS Plus, we'll take a look at some of those topics that are being discussed and we'll dive in just a bit deeper. In our last episode, we got an introduction into progressive dispensationalism, and that's where we're going to continue today. So let's do this thing. So let's start today's episode by doing a quick review of what we talked about last time. And we saw that progressive dispensationalism's main proponents are Daryl Bach of Dallas Theological Seminary and Craig Bleising. And there were three primary things or distinctives that we saw that progressive dispensationalists teach. Now, to be fair, we were able to come to this conclusion by the help of Charles Ryrie in his book, Dispensationalism, not necessarily because Bach and Bleising have put these distinctives for themselves, but it's essentially a distillation of the views of progressive dispensationalism by Ryrie. And here's what he notes that progressive dispensationalism teaches. First, a complementary hermeneutic that allows the New Testament to introduce changes and additions to the Old Testament. Second, that Christ is already ruling and reigning in heaven from the throne of David. Third, that the overall purpose of God is Christological and holistic in its redemption, and that is the main focus and goal of history. So let's start off by talking about this complementary hermeneutic, and we'll go ahead and define it. Now, this will come directly from Bleising and Bach in their book, Dispensationalism and the Church. And here's the definition. The New Testament does introduce change and advance. It does not merely repeat Old Testament revelation. In making complementary additions, however, it does not jettison old promises. The enhancement is not at the expense of the original promise. Old Testament promise has not been replaced. It has been opened up, clarified, expanded, and periodized in the progress of apostolic reflection on Jesus's teaching and actions. So some of what we heard, we would align with. For example, Old Testament promises aren't jettisoned. And as a normative dispensationalist or a classic dispensationalist, we would say that if a promise was made to a particular people group like the nation of Israel, then God is going to keep that promise throughout all time. But here's where we get into the problem. The progressive dispensationalist says that the New Testament actually changes the Old Testament. And the question that we'd have to ask ourselves is, to what extent? How? And what do you mean? How does it change that? We need an abundance of clarity because that's going to change how it is that we view our Bible. And Ryrie asks the same question when he says, are there limits on the complementary hermeneutic? And if so, how are these limits determined and by whom? So here we see the progressive dispensationalist is trying to have it both ways by saying, yes, we do believe in a literal hermeneutic, Absolutely, yes. There are promises made in the Old Testament that God will keep, but also some things got changed. And the things that have changed are going to become evident when we take a look at how a progressive dispensationalist looks at the Davidic covenant. 
So I think it would be helpful first to define the Davidic covenant. We'll go to Scripture, but again, if you remember from when we were looking at covenant theology, we took a look at a biblical definition of a covenant, and more or less, it's it's the terms that manage a relationship, and in the context of biblical covenants, God is setting the terms for how a relationship is going to be managed. So we see the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12-13, through 13, where it says this, And when thy days be filled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, speaking of David, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In 2 Samuel 23, 5, this is called an everlasting covenant that God is making with David. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, this is again reaffirmed where it says this, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, as it regards this covenant, this Davidic covenant, and how a progressive dispensationalist would view it, this is what we mentioned last time, already, not yet. The belief here is that Christ is already ruling from the throne of David in heaven, but it's a partial fulfillment in that at Christ's ascension, this this promise, this covenant was inaugurated, but it's not yet in that the actual future fulfillment and fullest fulfillment, if you will, will happen at the millennial reign. So another way to think about it is this, it's common or at least maybe it's common. I don't know, man. I think I saw this on a movie or a show once, and that means that it is definitely factual. But when they are christening a new ship, for example, a new seafaring vessel, they'll take a bottle of champagne and smash it up against the ship, and then the ship will go out and sail. I don't know, guys, I don't sail. So in light of this Davidic covenant, it would be like if at Christ's ascension, the champagne bottle smashes up against the ship, but the ship actually doesn't go anywhere. So it's kind of inaugurated, but it's not yet sailing. Now, in order to make this case, both Bach and Bleising put forth the scriptural references of Psalm 132.11 and Acts 2. And let's go ahead and take a look at both of those. First, Psalm 132.11 says this, The Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it, of the fruit of thy body will set upon thy throne. And Acts 2, particularly verses 29 through 30, says this, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne." So what the progressive dispensationalists will say, and in fact what Bach says, is that Psalm 132.11 is, quote, a crucial linking allusion to Acts 2, that these two are related. Now there are two things that I want to call our attention to. The first is that strong allusions as critical foundational elements of your theology, that actually sounds a lot like covenant theology when we reviewed that just a couple of episodes ago. And the second is this. I don't see it. I don't see it. Maybe, maybe you guys see the connection between these two, but, but I don't. And especially if we read the passage, 
So let's do that right now. Let's actually just read kind of this whole passage to get some greater context. Starting again from verse 29, it says this, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption." This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. The context of Acts chapter 2 in this particular passage is Peter showing to the Jews how Jesus was the Messiah. And the response, of course, as we know, is evidence of that because the Jews here realize that they did crucify their Lord and ask, well, what do we do now? And so I'm having a really hard time seeing a passage that is essentially a sermon to help the Jews understand that their Messiah, they actually crucified, how this is somehow inaugurating the throne of David. There's just no champagne bottles breaking, at least not that I hear. And this kind of kind of brings us back to a conclusion that we came to in our last episode about progressive dispensationalism and dispensationalism and how they diverge. Again, we'll defer to Charles Ryrie here when he says this, In general, differences in interpretation and emphases among normative dispensationalists do not change the overall system of dispensationalism. Whereas the differences advanced by progressive dispensationalists do form a new and revised system that some, both dispensationalists and non-dispensationalists, believe is not dispensationalism anymore. So as always, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the PS Plus. If you're curious to find out more about the Living Faith Bible Institute, feel free to visit lfbi.org. And also remember that enrollment for summer classes is now open. I hope that this episode was helpful in some way, and I hope to talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.